Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Amen. Impact Church doesn't sit around. We're always doing something. So, as Judy mentioned, this week in our readings in the chronological Bible that we're going through in the Jesus trip for the entire year as a body, most of the readings this week has been in the book of Psalms. And just as if Zach would, would say to you, if you're not up to date in your readings, there is no condemnation at Impact, Impact Church, but just jump right in. Whatever the reading is for today, start there and keep on going. Don't be discouraged, but, and don't let yourself get swayed from this intention, because there's a real swell, I think, going on. I really uh, feel it in our, in our small group on, on Thursday nights, and we've got room for more on Thursday nights, North London, if you want to come. Um, it's really something, a unique opportunity to study the entire scripture together and learn about it and also then to be able to practice this principle of seeing Jesus wherever we are in the Bible. So I'm going to, got a couple of things here about the book of Psalms. Just give you some head knowledge if you didn't have this already. This comes from a Hebrew word called telhim, which means praises, and it's commonly referred to as simply as Psalms or the book of Psalms. It's the first book in something called the Ketuvan, or writings, third section of the Hebrew Bible, and it's a book of the Christian Old Testament. The title is derived from the Greek translation, meaning instrumental music, and by extension, the words accompanying the music. So whenever you're reading Psalms, think of it, as a song. These are the lyrics to a song, and that there's many cases where we actually use them in songs in the, in the modern era. The book is an anthology of individual psalms with 150 of them in the Jewish and Western churches, and there's even a few more in the Eastern Orthodox. So, um, we're going to be talking about Psalm 103 today. And we actually read this, I think, on the 14th. But the first verse in this psalm attributes it to King David, who's the author of a whole lot of them. Not all of them, but a bunch of them. And it's a hymn, another song. These are the lyrics to a hymn, beginning in English, Bless the Lord, O my soul. This one is a regular part of the Jewish, Catholic, and Eastern liturgies. It's been paraphrased as hymns and set to music in many different ways. The fact of David's authorship, I think, is important for all of us to remember. Because he was, as Judy mentioned again, is, and this is the phrase that is attached to David forever, I think, he was a man after God's own heart. He knew he was loved by God and lived with an outrageous revelation of the goodness and the love of God that saw him able to experience God in ways that were way outside of his time. A direct quote from our own beloved Zach Sloan. 
Why is that important? We had, uh, a while ago, we had Greg Boyd from the US and we also had Bruxy Cavey here for a conference. And Greg Boyd has a, has a great way of looking at the apparent differences in the Old Testament versus the New in terms of the way God was perceived then and described then and the way God is revealed in the New Testament in Jesus. It's like, in Greg's paraphrase, is it's like trying to see the sun on a cloudy day. Sometimes you get breaks in the clouds and you see the sun. Sometimes the sun is totally obscured. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we talk about this in Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as, the, as an inheritance and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And in the Amplified, it's, a little, it's even a little better. The sun is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being the brilliant light of the divine, and the exact representation and perfect imprint of his divine essence. So it's like God came and became a man so that mankind could understand fully who and what God really was in terms of his nature, his ability, his character, and his essential expression. If you, that's the filter that we're using to look at everything in the Bible is through the filter that God looks like Jesus. Any, anytime you see something in the Old Testament that doesn't line up with Jesus, that's an opportunity to see Jesus in contrast. Every time you see something in the Old Testament that looked exactly like Jesus, that's God revealing himself and his true nature in the Old Testament. So there's, no, there's some people that think God's kind of schizophrenic, that he was a bad guy in the Old Testament and a great guy in the New Testament, or God the Father is the angry judge, Jesus is the one who stands in between us and the judge. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all one. There's no breakdown, there's no walls of division, they're all the same being. And it's important for us to keep this firmly in mind that God looks like Jesus, God acts like Jesus, God always is like Jesus. He never changed, he always was and he always will be like Jesus. So going back to Psalm 103. David wrote a grace-filled song celebrating the benefits of being in a relationship with God. It would have been actually a radical song in his day because it was actually contrary to some of the teachings of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. For example, in terms of forgiveness and being cleansed from sin, every year you had to come and revisit your sin condition before God, make sacrifices and be cleansed. And that was for individuals, and it was also true for the entire nation of Israel. It had to be done continually because there was no lasting remission for sin in the Old Testament. But let's think about this in terms of the benefit package that God has. In the world, and those of us who are employed, we have indirect and non-cash components 
of what we receive as a benefit as an employee. Some of them are mandated by law, some of them are, they are variable from firm to firm or industry to industry, but that's a benefit package in the world's context. Look at the first two verses of Psalm 103. It says, bless and affectionately praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is deep within me, bless his holy name, bless and affectionately praise the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget any of his benefits. So in this psalm, the way it starts off, David's actually talking to himself. He's giving himself a pep talk. The tone of his self-talk is that he's encouraging himself in the Lord, in the goodness of the Lord, and it's similar to other places in Psalms, like Psalm 42, Psalm 43, where it says, he says to himself again, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted against me? Wait thou for God, and I will yet praise him for the well-being of his presence. How does David encourage himself? By remembering. Do not, he says, forget, ignore, forget, or cease to care about his benefits. And we are to remember the good things or benefits. And in Hebrew, this is the, the uh, Hebrew word gemul, which is used 19 times in total in the Old Testament, 10 times as recompense, three times as reward, two times as benefit, good action, retribution, justice, and atonement. So let's go back to Psalm 103. First five verses, bless and affectionately praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is deep within me. Bless his holy name, bless and affectionately praise the Lord, O my soul. Do not forget any of his benefits. Who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you lavishly with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the soaring eagle. So this, in contrast to the world, is the benefit package from the, in the kingdom from your heavenly Father. It is for, you are forgiven, you are healed, you are redeemed, you are crowned, and you are satisfied. Let's look at some of these and unpack this a little bit and see what we can find. You are forgiven. This is a contrast in the Old Testament versus the New. Exodus 34, 7 says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. This is the Old Covenant. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That would be a desperate situation to know that whatever your great-grandparents did can still be counted against you in the present. Contrast here is in Luke 24, 46 and 47. Then he, Jesus, said to them, this, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Complete coverage, total and eternal coverage for the remission of sins. Look at that word remission that's being used here. The Greek word ephesus 
It means a release from bondage or imprisonment, forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed, just as if I never sinned, justified. Remission of the penalty. Forgiveness is not something that God does. It's something that he's already done. The finished, complete, final package and the final word on it was the death of Jesus on the cross. And because of that, forever, all mankind is now forgiven. Whether they know it or not, whether they appropriate it or not, they are forgiven. Sin is no longer an issue with God. It's already been covered because it was covered in the death of Jesus on the cross. So the new covenant, Matthew 26, 28, it says, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Acts 13, 38, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Acts 5, 31, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Go a little further in Psalm 102, verses 10 to 12. In this, we're seeing again David, the man after God's own heart, who's seeing into the future, not in his present, but into the future. He says here, he has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That wasn't the present that David was in. That was the future that David was seeing because of this connection that he had in his relationship with God. It was like he was pulling the future into his present and seeing a truth that nobody was yet walking in. Sorry, I keep pushing the wrong buttons here. But it wasn't just... Uh, David that saw this, it was actually prophetically declared by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31. And it says, in those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The same principle as the sins of the fathers would be visited to the future generations. But everyone, that shall, everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on ed, edge. But here's the prophetic promise going forward. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So let's talk about this a little bit more. Removes our transgressions. And iniquities is something that's on the inside. It's our motivation. It's the heart attitude. It's the way that you may be out of step with the intentions of God or uh, his good purposes for you. Whereas transgressions is something that you do on the outside, is something that is in your hand, not your heart, is the things that you act out in your world. Those are the things that we do wrong. But that scripture in Jeremiah says, as far as the east is from the west, how far is that? That's an infinite distance. 
it's there's no there's no measuring that distance so it means completely and forever he separated us from our sins and your whiteboard is forever and completely erased and clean there is no record kept of anything that you've done wrong in the past number two about this is he remembers your sins no more Hebrews 8.12 says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. To remember is to recall something to bring it up for use. Now, we may remember some of these things. The accuser certainly does. He brings them up constantly. He's always a snare, a stumbling block to the progress that you're making in the Lord or your sense of peace in your relationship with the Lord. He always brings it up but God is always calling us not to forget because he, he, it's not that he doesn't forget, it's not that he can't remember, he's making a choice never to remember them or to use them against us ever again. Sin is not the issue anymore. The peace of God is available to all of us. Third point here is that he releases us from our iniquities. There's a rule here, you can't be charged twice with the same sin. Anything that Jesus paid for, and he paid for everything, you can't be accused of nor charged with. Jesus paid for it all. Our role is to believe in Jesus, and automatically we are released from that sense of shame, blame, condemnation, or separation from the Lord himself. Let's jump back to the New Testament, John 19. At the crucifixion of Jesus, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel was full of sour wine sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it up to his mouth, so that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. But I want you to hear this morning, in that declaration, I thirst, it wasn't just him saying, I'm thirsty. It was Jesus in the midst of that moment, at the verge of dying and giving up his spirit to the Father. He said, I thirst, not for his physical need, but for our forgiveness, our freedom, and our healing, because he knew what he was accomplishing in that moment. And that in that fulfillment of scripture, he knew exactly what was needed to be done. He was calling, calling out on our behalf. He wanted to see those things accomplished. Scripture says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy wasn't just getting returned into his, his natural habitat, being exalted back to heavenly places, but his joy was knowing that he was accomplishing it for the entire creation, for all of mankind, from past, present, and future. That was his joy set before him that he would endure a horrific death on our behalf. Next benefit is healing. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he's borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weaknesses and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God, as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us 
was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and we are made whole. Not going to be, but are finished past tense. This is reflected again in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus was already about demonstrating healing, manifesting it powerfully before he went to the cross. In 16 and 17, it says, When the evening came, they brought to him many who were under the power of demons, and he drove out the spirits with a word and restored to health all the who were sick. There's so many times in Scripture when it says, When the crowds came to him, he healed all of them. Everyone that needed healing, he was the healer in their presence. But it also says, and specifically goes back to that verse in Isaiah, and thus he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He himself took in order to carry away our weaknesses and infirmities and bore away our sicknesses. See, where, the, where is our sickness going? It's going away. Our iniquities are going away. Our infirmities are going away. They're being taken from us and put on him so that we don't have to own them anymore. We don't have to be carrying them anymore. They're not ours. Sometimes if we have a chronic illness, sometimes we think of it, this belongs to me. Sometimes if it belongs to you long enough, you think you deserve it. It's never the case that it belongs to you. Jesus paid for it, he took it away. If we're suffering with it, it means that there's something that needs to be announced, something declared, something to be overcome. Not because you deserve it, it, not, it never was something that you deserved. Again, in 1 Peter, in the New Testament, it says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes, by Jesus' stripes, we, you were healed. So how do you get healed? It's the same way that you get forgiveness, the same way that you get into the kingdom. He graciously provides healing. He graciously gives it to you. You believe him and then you receive it. Faith is essentially saying, thank you, I believe it. And you receive it through faith. Ephesians 2.8, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, sozo, to rescue, save from destruction, heal, and to restore health. A great big concept that's not just healing, not just salvation, but the restoration of every part of your being is wrapped up in that word, Greek word, sozo. The next benefit, redemption. Psalm 103 verse 4, he says, he's redeeming your life from destruction. And this is the Hebrew word ga'al. It means to act as a kinsman redeemer by marrying. This is the example from the Old Testament culture, by marrying a brother's widow to beget children for him, to redeem from slavery, to redeem land, to exact vengeance, to redeem by payment, to redeem individuals from death. We heard teaching about this a few weeks ago in the book of Ruth, about how uh, Ruth was was in need, she was desperate, she was without, she was even close to her own property that used to belong to her family. 
but she needed to come in contact with Boaz, who was a family member, but who served as her kinsman redeemer. And then Ruth 4.14 said, the women of the town said to Naomi, who is uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. Jesus is our redeemer. He's the one that comes in, pays the price. He's the one that then restores everything that belongs to us as our kinsman redeemer. In Romans 6, 17 to 19, it says, Thanks God, thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given to you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. No longer under the curse, no longer bound as slaves to the enemy, you are now free and redeemed in the kingdom of God. Another benefit, we've been crowned. Psalm 103 verse four also says, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. To crown something is this word atar, means to surround, to crown, to give a crown, a crown bestower. Crowns in scripture always represent authority. So think about that in terms of all of us. The authority is something that's given. Romans 13:1 said, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. In the beginning, in, in the book of Genesis, Adam was given authority. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion, which means to rule and to reign, as God's representatives, that was the original plan of God in the earth. In the garden, that's where it was established, Noah, or Adam and Eve, their mandate was to expand that influence across the entire globe. Sadly, they didn't accomplish, they didn't achieve their mandate, but that was God's intention. In Psalm 8, verses 4 to 6, the angels are talking to God, the Father, saying, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God, crowned them with glory and honor? You gave them charge of everything. You made everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Again, we're seeing the delegated authority, the authority that starts with God, but delegated to mankind. But because of the sin in the garden, that authority was relinquished, it was defaulted to the devil. In Luke chapter four, verses six to eight, and this is the devil speaking to Jesus in the wilderness, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor because it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. This part, this is, what I love, you know, about it really is an endorsement about the power of the word because in the wilderness, Jesus being tempted by the devil, Jesus is not out of place, he's not out of step because the Holy Spirit took him into the wilderness to confront the devil in a place of weakness, a place of lack, a place of where he's hungry and thirsty. If you need any kind of endorsement of the power of scripture, this is it right here. 
Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God. Every time that the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus' response was, it is written, referring at that point to what we call the Old Testament. But it's still the word of God. It has power and authority. And right here, you see that Jesus is endorsing the word of God and placing it in a high place of honor. The enemy said again to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. I've already read that. And Jesus answered in every case, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus walked in authority because of his place in relationship with God the Father. Matthew 9, verses 6 to 8, he says, But I want you to know, this is Jesus speaking, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. How did he show that authority? He was in the midst of a crowd of people. There was the lame man on the, on the mat. So he says, this is my demonstration of authority to forgive sins. He says, to the guy that's lame, broken, and, and needing healing, get up, take your mat, and go home. So this is, is evidence that I have authority to release, to cancel sin is I'm going to heal. Because in Jesus' world, in Jesus' mindset, healing and, and forgiveness of sins were exactly the same things. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to a man. John 5, 27, and he was given authority, he being Jesus, and granted him power to execute, exercise, practice judgment because he is the son of man, very man. And we all know that because of his death on the cross, Jesus recovered all authority. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 said, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the implication is that Jesus has all authority. He's restored authority to its rightful place. It came from God, got diverted to the enemy, came back to Jesus, and now Jesus having all authority, he says go. And the implication is we go in authority and Jesus has given us authority to act. John chapter 14, it says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father, and whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Amen. Consider your place in the world. Consider in this perspective who you are, not as a weak and, and a failing human being, but someone who's been given authority, gifting, the benefits that come from the Father through the Son, and that's our place of action. That's the place of confidence and peace that we should all be walking in. Why did he crown us? Jesus crowned us to reign in this life. Revelation chapter 1, 5 and 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has made us kings and priests. Again, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Kings and priests. In the Old Testament, you could either be a king, a prophet, or a priest. You, priests couldn't be kings. Prophets couldn't be priests. They all had to be one or the other. That was the stipulation. But here we see that Jesus has made us both kings and priests. Kings reign in the world. Priests connect. They connect with God. They connect with the people. So we have this dual role that we have our noble royal lineage, but our role is also to maintain and create connections with God and with the people around you. That is also part of our mandate. That's the purpose of being crowned in the benefits of God. Last one. We are satisfied. Psalm 103 verse 5 says, who satisfies you with good that your soul, that your soul is renewed like, so that your youth, sorry, is renewed like the eagles. Unlike modern days, when you get warranties or guarantees with products and services that you buy, with God, satisfaction is always guaranteed. There's nothing about what Jesus promises us that is lacking or diminished. His life and ministry were demonstrations of God's healing, deliverance, freedom, joy in life, and satisfaction. And in this psalm, David is actually talking about a couple of points about that. Number one, he talks about the extraordinary condition that results from the benefit of God. We are satisfied. The extraordinary effect of that satisfaction is that we are being renewed. That word, being satisfied, in the King James, the Strong's Concordance translates that as satisfy, fill, full, plenty, enough, satiate, sufficed, insatiable, and weary. He satisfies you right to the core of your being, your soul. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Self-talk that's positive, self-talk that's encouraging, not the self-talk that most of us walk in day to day. All of it, we have the biggest critic in the world. It's in our heads and is always talking against us and the enemy's whispering into that. But David is purposefully saying things to his soul, commanding his soul to step up, praise the Lord, and be strong in God. Isaiah 58, 11 says, And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy you in drought and in dry places and make strong your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Psalm 107, 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. So the extraordinary effect of this being satisfied is that your youth is being renewed. The Greek word here is the word kadesh, which means literally to make new, to cut, to polish, like a sword. Something that's been maybe dulled or maybe been left out of use, been tarnished, it's been corroded, but it needs to be sharpened, it needs to be polished, it needs to be made shiny and purposeful again. And it also is to renew your youth like that of an eagle. 
it's worth studying. When I was a young Christian, not when I was a young man necessarily, because I didn't come to the Lord until my mid-20s, but there was a whole lot of teaching about eagles, eagles' nests, eagles soaring in the winds, eagles and their, their, the way that they had monocular and binocular vision at the same time, the strength that they had, the way that they could float through calamities and storms and tempests just by locking their wings and they could even lapse into unconsciousness but they'd stay flying in the winds of adversity. So it's not, it, it, this is actually used over 30 times in the Bible as a symbol, as a type of who we are in the Lord. So it's worth thinking about and digging that into that too. I wouldn't go into that now, but it's, it's actually a, a very profitable study to think about the why that they use that picture of being an eagle. Okay. So we're tracking to a rapid conclusion here. To summarize, what have we got? The kingdom benefits of God is you are forgiven, you are healed, there's redemption in the kingdom plan, you are crowned, and you are satisfied. Forget not all of his benefits. But there's an important part to this, though, that you really need to understand is that just like in the in commerce or in, in the employment world, you can have benefits, but you have to opt into them. You can't just presume you've got them. You actually have to declare that I'm opting in to the dental, to the health plan, to the life insurance. The same way in the kingdom of God, you have to opt in. It has to be a choice that you've made or need to make. It's something that you have to consciously say yes to, and that's the essence of how faith appropriates the benefits in the kingdom. It says, yes, I'll take it. So why don't you stand with me for a minute? So I want to talk to anybody in the room right now that has never said, yes, I want to opt in. Yes, I see the benefits of the kingdom. Yes, I see what Jesus has done for me. Yes. I want to receive that. So if all heads are bowed, eyes are closed, let's consider that offer to you right now. It's like God himself is making this offer afresh and anew to you to consider. If you've never done this before, you see in this package the fullness of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross just for you, for every individual, past, present, and future. This is your opportunity. So to take advantage of this opportunity, what I want to do is just simply count to three. I will count to three. And any of you, as all heads are bowed, eyes are closed, any of you that have not made that choice yet and you want to make that choice now, all you have to do is put up your hand and say yes. I'm opting in, I'm choosing Jesus, yes. I'm exercising faith in the finished work of the cross. So here it is. One, two, three. Raise your hand to opt in to the awesome benefits of the kingdom of God. Anyone.
All right. I don't think I see any hands, but good to know we're in the company of the born-again saints of God. So let me bless you now. As I'm praying, I'll invite the, those who are on altar ministry now to come up to the front. Any needs that would benefit from prayer, please come forward, and these faithful folks will help you out, and they will minister life in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that we are not going to ever forget or be careless with the benefits that you've given to every one of us through the saving blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that today we stand in an awesome place of privilege, strength, and equipping that comes through the life of God on the inside of us. So I bless this assembly. I bless them with the grace and the peace of God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the sanctification that comes through the blood of Jesus. I declare increases on this house and every family, every individual represented here. And we thank you, Lord, for the awesome things that you are about and that we are called to participate with authority in the kingdom of God in these days that we live in. We bless you, we praise you, and we declare your holy name is lifted up and we declare it in the name of Jesus. Go forth and enjoy summer. It's already here. Bless you.